As a mysterious illness sweeps over a girls' school in Mexico, the federal government is forced to step in. But as investigators take a closer look, is it mass hysteria or witchcraft? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We've got a lot of stuff to cover. We're actually only doing one story this episode, which is pretty rare. But what we're taking a look at, it's it, you got to have time for it to breathe. So let's go ahead and get started here. First off, I want to give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Hunter McCarthy. Hunter, I really, really appreciate the support. It means a lot. You are going to be our chauffeur, our pilot, whatever vehicle we use this episode, you are going to be in command. If you can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help get the word out about the show, that really, really helps out a lot. Now, this story was recommended to me by Vince G via email. It was a great story, Vince. Thank you so much for sending it over. And I have to say this too, almost the entire story, almost all the information I got came from an amazing article on Vox called The Haunting of Girlstown by Daniel Hernandez. So I want to give a shout out to Daniel for doing the legwork to get all this information out because this story, this story is really cool. Hunter, let's go ahead and fire up that carpenter copter. We're leaving behind sunny, flowerful, that's not a word, sunny, a bunch of flowers in Oregon. We're leaving, you know, everything's blooming, it's super hot. And we're going to Mexico, which is known for its moderate temperature and never being hot at all. We're also going back in time. We're going back to October 2006. So Hunter hit that time travel button right there. We're flying over Mexico. Specifically, we're flying over the town of Chaco. Now, in Chaco, there is a all-girls school known as Villa de la Ninas, which basically means city of girls or city of all girls or something like that, I think. Villa House, House of Girls, maybe? Maybe not a city. Maybe that's too ambitious. Population of one million girls. There was a dude back in the 50s, 60s. He traveled all over the world. And he was setting up girls' towns and boys' towns. He sets them up in the Philippines. There's like 15 locations worldwide. And one of the last schools he was able to open, his health was failing, but one of the last schools he was able to open was this school in Mexico. This one was set up in 1990, and... Like I said, he was getting sick. He's like, I can't finish this, dude. He's like putting the bricks down himself. They're like, sir, sir, you just have to like lead the design team. He's like, no, must establish it myself, driving the backhoe. Eventually, though, he has this quote. He says, quote, there was a lingering doubt and a nagging concern that I was making a mistake, perhaps the biggest mistake in my life. And he called the Villa de las Ninas his unfinished symphony. But he does have to stop building the school. They actually got a construction team to come in. They're like, okay, now we can actually build this on schedule. This old man's hobbling away. They're like, come on, bring in the bulldozers. Let's knock over this wall. It took him 10 years to put up. They finished the school. But he does have that thing in his head. He's like, something's, I don't really think something's right here. Don't think something's right. But he's able to set up all these schools all over the world. And what it was, was they would go to places of horrible poverty. And try to lift kids out of poverty. So that was a whole mission. So Hunter, let's go ahead and land our carpenter copter at this campus. The villa, beautifully manicured lawns, very ornate architecture stuff. There's like statues and like build buildings because most other places don't have buildings. Very, it's 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 a stark reminder 
of what is possible with the power of hope. Because it's basically surrounded by, like, open sewage treatment areas in a smelly part of town. But they built this beautiful thing there. They probably could have planned that part out better, but I'm sure it's just really cheap. And so, but you have this beautiful campus, and you have these huge gates, and it's a symbol of what hard work and God's grace can give you. Now, they would get kids from all over Mexico. This one was all girls, so it was specifically a girl's town. They would get kids from all over Mexico. And it was run at the time, back in 2006, by Mother Superior Margie Cheong. She's from South Korea. So she's a nun from South Korea. She's come to run this school. Now, there's a little bit of a culture clash going on here. Because, one, she's... The nuns aren't known for, you know, they're kind of like, ah, do whatever. They're they're pretty strict. Apparently, I don't know if this is a stereotype, but according to this article, South Korean nuns are way more strict than the average nun. The average nun may be like, ah, nah, it's cool, you can do that. That's not a mortal sin, or maybe just say some prayers and stuff. I don't know, I'm not a Catholic, I don't know how it works. I don't know if nuns are just like, ah, murder, that's fine. But South Korean nuns are super, super strict. So when she came to this school... Things got, you could say, a little overboard. So you have a, what some would say, and honestly, I would say this too, a quite tyrannical leadership of this school. Now, obviously, they don't see it that way. They're doing this for the Lord. And they're doing this for these girls. So these girls are being taken from poor areas. Willingly, they're not like being kidnapped. They get in the back of the van. A bunch of nuns, they're disguised themselves as nuns from the town. And then they just get out and they're just regular nuns. They weren't kidnapping these kids. Like, they would go to the parents and say... They would test the kids as well. Because they weren't only... They didn't just bring in poor kids. They wanted poor, smart kids. They wanted kids that would either go on in, like, technical programs, go into college, or be nuns. And let the cycle continue. But anyway, so you have this school set up of these younger... And they're told in the beginning this is going to be super, super strict. There are no surprises. This isn't a cult... Like the anthill kids, or they're like, come join me at the compound, and the next thing you know, people's arms are getting chopped off with chainsaws. You knew what you were in for. Again, you're 12, so you may not comprehend the rules that are coming, but you know the rules. This has been, this system had been set up since the 1990s, right? But in October of 2006, the girls started to have issues. So let's take a visit. Let's, we're walking inside this school. It's really, really beautiful. There's the buildings. Those are buildings, those newfangled buildings I was talking about. We're walking around. And there are these girls walking through the school. And they're all dressed in uniforms. They all have really short hair. Their hair couldn't be longer than two fingers below the ear. And they're just walking, holding their books, doing girl stuff. And then all of a sudden, one of them, ah, oh my God. She falls to the ground. Holding her legs. Oh my god! I guess she probably didn't use the Lord's name in vain. Oh my gosh! Oh no, my legs! The other girls run to her aid. We can't help. We're just standing there. We're two adults in the hallway. I hold back Hunter. I'm like, "Mm -mm, no, they have to solve this problem themselves. Ah, my legs! This girl says she feels like needles. Like needles are going into her skin, into her muscle tissue. And just scratching underneath the skin. Deep pain in her muscles ah oh it burns it burns now the other girls are obviously sitting there they don't see any needles they don't see anything she's just grabbing her legs flipping out go get head mistress and then girls are running around they're getting help and stuff like that but then a couple days later girl sitting in the cafeteria mm, this is delicious 
Ow, my legs. Wait, guys, are you poking me with needles? Oh my god! I mean, oh my gosh, no, my legs! My legs! She's flipping out in the cafeteria. Ah, it hurts, it hurts! Girl, in the middle of math class, it's two plus two is four. I learned that in fourth grade. I don't know why I'm doing that math equation. Jason doesn't know any math higher than that. Triangle plus square equals... A rectangle there that's high level math ah ah my legs my legs starts flipping out in class 500 girls between october 2006 and june 2007 500 girls are inflicted with this illness it wasn't just the needles in the legs it wasn't just the needles in the legs these kids are also experiencing nausea fever Temporary paralysis. They couldn't move. And then the nightmares. Five, if it was five kids, you could probably cover it up. But 500 kids, it starts to become a national story. Remember, these kids are from poor families. This is their one shot. This is their chance to make it. And you have parents traveling 100 miles to pick their kid up. I want her out of the, I want her out of the school. Because we don't know what's going on here. The federal government gets involved. They send people out to test the air. There's no problem. They send people out to test the water. There's no problem. Okay, let me back up. First, they sent out doctors to see what was going on. Medical doctors. And they couldn't come up with any reason why. They didn't just start testing the air as all these kids are freaking out. They sent out doctors. The doctors are like, there's no physical reason they should be having this. The fever is obviously a physical thing. Nausea is something you can never really diagnose. We can diagnose a fever. We have a tool for that. But nausea, nausea, I think is the actual way you pronounce it. Someone can say they're nauseous. We'll never know. Medical doctors come out. Environmental dudes come out. Testing the air. Testing the water. 500 kids. One teacher and a couple of the nuns. Uh, house mothers, or I think is what the term was there. Came down with this. Needles in the leg. Nausea fevers, temporary paralysis. One girl said her fear was that she would never be able to walk again. So when I say temporary paralysis, I don't mean five minutes. Days you couldn't walk. The pain was so intense. Federal government sends in a psychiatrist. Dr. Nashila Lo-Navala. And she comes into the girls' school and she is a little... I don't want to put, I don't want to put emotions in her brain, but she seems kind of excited. Because here's the thing. Mass hysterias are rare. They're they're pretty rare. We've covered them before on this show. The Dancing Plague, the Laughing Epidemic, and both of those are actually mentioned in Daniel Hernandez's article. And I would honestly recommend, after listening to this episode, reading the article. It is a very, very well-written piece of journalism, investigative journalism. But anyways, Dr. Loa Navala is like, this is a super contemporary case of mass hysteria. People think that these things don't exist. They've kind of just kind of disappeared into the medical journals. This is 2006. So she's kind of like, wee! She's like, push, she's running the airport. She's pushing other people out of the way. Look out, nerds, I'm on my way to go investigate mass hysteria. Takes control of the plane. So she comes out to the school. So that's kind of what she's going into. The doctors have already checked it out. They've already checked out the environmental contagions. She decides to go in and go, this is mass hysteria. The way you deal with mass hysteria is to calm people down. To figure out what's really the emotional thing going on. Here's this great quote from this article. Quote, Hysteria, Loa Navala explains, is an audio-visual contagion. You have to see and hear someone exhibiting symptoms in order to find yourself replicating those symptoms. 
see it enough, and it becomes you. This is Hysteria's essential and most terrifying threat. Anyone is susceptible. Imagine a disease that simply affected everyone. It's a disease that you can't have an immune system. The immune system is not being anywhere near it. Not seeing it, not hearing it. If you're in that blast radius of the disease, the chances of you getting it are quite high. If everyone around you, you can't tell me that if every, you're at work and everyone around you starts sniffling, <laughs> sniffling and stuff, that you won't start sniffling. Or the very first time your nose starts running, being like, uh-oh, I wonder if I have that. It, it, it's just the way we're, we're a social species. We're a social species, so we'll pick up on cues like that. So it's a disease that can affect any of us. So she's at the school, and she's like, I'm just going to start counseling these kids. Now, these kids were coming from really, really bad backgrounds. No father at the home. These are girls, so they're expected to work at very, very young ages. The father's gone, or the parents abuse them. They have to go to school and work at the same time to support their other siblings. It is not a pleasurable life. It's a life of hard work. And you're like 12. Right? You expect to work hard when you're like 24. But when you're 12 and you're going to school, you're like, I go to school and work. Yeah, but you're in college, bro. When you're 12 years old and you have to take care of your three siblings, it's really difficult. So you're going through all of this mental stuff. So when this school says, we can remove that from you, you don't have to work. We're going to give you free housing, free education, free food. We're going to give you a better life. One, you have a little bit of survivor's guilt because your siblings are still in that situation. And two, in your situation, it's very regimented. It's like a military academy. So these girls are going through a lot of stuff. Dr. Loa Navala is interviewing these girls. And she says that they're talking to me, and the more that they talk to me, the more their symptoms went away. So we'd have a session... Hey, can you tell me about your home life? Oh my God, my legs hurt so bad. Please, can we have this meeting somewhere else? Ah, ah. And then the next day, tell me a little bit about your home life. Oh, my legs, they hurt. They hurt a little bit less, but they're still burning. And over time, these symptoms would dissipate. Now, sometimes the symptoms would dissipate without the therapy. But the psychiatrist was starting to realize that this is working. I believe this is mass hysteria. But that's only half the story. That's only half the story. Let's go back in time a bit, and we're going to follow the trail of a girl named Hovita. In 2003, she's 12 years old. Family, super poor, is exactly the situation I set out for you. She, her dad said, hey, I'm going to America, I'll send back money, bye, and then just disappeared. So it's her mother, her, she's the youngest of four kids, and it's on her to help support the family, to get a job, to help the mom support the family. And she knows that eventually she's going to, she loves going to school, but eventually she's going to drop out of school and have to work full time. That is when the Villa de las Niñas show up to her house and say, we want to test you. We know you're doing well in school. We want to test you to see if you're allowed to come. Now, the rules are super strict. Only one person from a family can go to the Villa. So it's your, it's your ticket out of there, but you got to leave people behind. Here were the rules that were given to this 12-year-old girl, Hovita. No connection to the outside. These are going to sound very cultish, by the way. There's a couple of caveats that make it not a cult, but you're going to be like, dude, this, this place was fairly brutal, but 
No connection to the outside world. At all. Little asterisks there. You can't accept phone calls. You can't call your family. Your family can write to you, but you can't write back. You're allowed to see your family for two weeks during the summer and two weeks at Christmas time. That's actually the biggest non-cult thing. They do let you eventually see your family. They let the family write to you, but their letters are read. They're, they are screened before you get them. You're not allowed to write back. You can see them for two weeks during the summer and two weeks during Christmas time. No one has a birthday. Everyone at the school celebrates their birthday on the same day. That is the day the school was founded. No television, no magazines, no newspaper. Your hair has to be cut short. can't be longer than two fingers below the ear. Which, that again, that sounds very cult-like. That sounds very Heaven's Gate-like. And on detail, and again, I'm not a girl. I don't know how this stuff works. But no waxing. No waxing. Can't wax your hair. And that was the thing that when the kids were brought to the school, they checked them for that. They checked their armpits, their face, and their bikini area. And if they were waxed, if there was evidence that these girls had ever waxed, they were immediately expelled and sent back to the home. So the girls were asked, do you wax? Have you ever put on any wax? No, 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 I haven't. If you did it, you were expelled. Can't bring any mementos from home, even photographs. Can't bring pictures of your siblings, pictures of your parents, things like that. Grounds for expulsion. Once you're at the school, if you start to become close to one of the house mothers or to one of the adults on your dorm, you are reassigned and the adult is reassigned to a different dorm. If you become friends with another person, they are reassigned to a different dorm. You are not going to be hanging out with your buddies here. You're going to here to learn. Now, you go, that's, that's super dumb. I'm not doing any of that stuff. But if your choice was backbreaking labor for the rest of your probably short life or a chance to get a free high-level education, you're going to choose the education. You're fine. I'll take the rules. I don't wax. I'll do all that stuff. Because if you stayed, you stayed in poverty. If you were expelled, you were expelled into a harsh world. So she signed the paperwork. Let's do this. And another girl who went to school with Hovita in this small town, her name was Maria. Same thing. Same age. Went to the same school. She signs the paperwork. Now, Maria was a natural-born leader. Striking features. Attractive little girl. And Hovita knew a little bit about Maria. One, she knew that she looked like a leader. Secondly, there were rumors that Maria's mother was a witch who worshipped Saint Death. But just rumors. And the bus leaves behind this small city. And Hunter, fire up that Jason Jalopy. We're going to follow them in our car. We're going to follow along this path. Now, when they get to the school, the first thing all the girls realize is just how beautiful it is. How out of place it seems from where they came from. And the rules are immediately being enforced. They're being checked for photographs. Some of the girls hid photographs of their family in their undergarments. Photographs are taken. The girls aren't immediately expelled. But they are then threatened. This happens again, you are expelled. That started in 2003, and that system that they're living in, it, it takes us up to the year 2006. The girls are all going on a field trip to an elite Catholic university. And while they are there, the girls stumble across the magazine. Now, I'm going to stop here. This is all true. This isn't some weird myth that's going around. This is 100% documented. Because from this point on, it gets super bizarre. Super weird. 
Even the chance finding of the magazine seems like something that happens in Act 2 of a horror movie. But these girls are out of this elite Catholic university, seeing what is possible for their future. Very, very hardworking young women, pushing themselves mentally, physically, to become successful. They find a magazine. And in this magazine, the girls are flipping through it because they don't have access to magazines. This would be like finding a Nintendo Switch when you didn't even have electricity in your house. They're flipping through the magazine and they come across an article, How to Make Your Own Ouija Board. Forbidden Knowledge. 100%. Just having the magazine could have gotten them in a ton of trouble. But creating a Ouija board? The girls debate it, whether or not they're going to do this. They were familiar with the idea of it. These girls weren't raised in a cave. They knew what Ouija was. They knew what black magic was and things like that. Maria says, I will build one. I'm going to build a Ouija board. Using these instructions, I'm going to create a Ouija board. And Hovita said it was no surprise to her that Maria was the one who spearheaded this whole thing because of her reputation. The girls began sneaking out late at night. They would crawl through a window so they wouldn't alert any of the adults. They would sneak out onto the roof of their dorm. They would call upon the spirits, call upon the darkness, call upon the dead, and communicate with them with this Ouija board. Now, this was a secret in the school. One, not every girl knew about it, and the girls that did know about it kept their mouths shut. Out of fascination, out of fear. Hovita one night, as the Ouija board experiments were going on on the rooftop, Hovita one night wakes up and goes into the bathroom. It has stalls in it. She's in the first stall, and she hears a noise in the last stall. And then the toilet flush. <laughs> Hovita knows she's the only one in there. But she has to be for sure. So she goes and she moves open the stall next to her. No one's in there. She moves open the stall next to that one. There's no one in there. She gets to the last stall where she actually hears the noise. Opens the stall. There's no one in there. And then in the stall where she was before, the first stall, she hears a noise. The toilet flushes. She runs out of there. Now, that is obviously could be 100% pipes, anything. That does not mean... That's not the end of the story, folks. It's not like, we'll see you later. See you tomorrow. But it starts to set a precedent. Then now we're starting to have what could be paranormal activity at this school. Hovita started to have this weird delusion. So, again, to create... You want to have a sense of order in these communities, but they also don't want the kids to get too comfortable. So they would rotate the kids through the bunks in their dorm. And Hovita flat out refused to take a bunk that was near a window. She would not do it. She was actually fighting against the establishment, which was a big no-no. And the, the nuns would go, why don't you want to be by a window? And she would come to them with a low voice and say, because I know out in that field, there's a girl, a dead girl, dressed in all white. She just runs through the field. And I just lay there, and I'm so afraid if I roll over, if I look, I'll see her out there. I don't even want to have the chance that I see her and that she sees me. These rules were set up. They have to follow these things, and you have a girl actively saying, I'm not going to follow this rule. This all comes to a head when there's a school-wide basketball tournament, and Maria 
has a friend named Liz who's in a different dorm. All the dorms, that's grade level and dorm level, so the different houses, compete against each other, and the winner gets bragging rights. Maria's best friend Liz was in another dorm, and Maria wanted Liz to win. So she called upon the powers of the Ouija board for Liz's team to win, and Liz's team dominated and took the championship. Now, the girls who knew that this black magic had been going on had been keeping their mouth shut, but this... This is what broke the camel's back, because she cheated. Not only did she cheat, she cheated against her own dorm. Maria's dorm should have won. She used her power to make her friend's dorm win. So now you had girl. That was too much. Calling upon the dead and the demons flowing around and the girl running around in the yard and toilets flushing. Nah, that's all fine. But cheating. Don't do that. So they begin complaining to the house mothers. The house mothers go to Mother Superior and say... There's a Ouija board on campus. We've been alerted. Black magic has been used. All this stuff. And the Mother Superior goes, what's a Ouija board? In South Korea, they don't exist. It's not a thing. They explained to her exactly what it was. So they go to Maria. All the nuns go to Maria. And they go, we know that you're using a Ouija board. Maria completely denies it. I'm not using a Ouija board. They search her bed. Ouija board's under her bed. Maria goes, okay, I use a Ouija board. I might have used it to rig a basketball game, but I'm sorry. Sorry for that. I shouldn't have done that. But I wasn't the only one either. Like, all, we've been doing it for months, and all these other girls, that girl and that girl and that girl, we'd go up to the rooftop, and we'd do this stuff. This has been going on for months. And the Mother Superior looks at Maria and says, you're expelled. Now, Maria t- Maria is just apocalyptically mad at what's going on now, because it's not fair. She wasn't the only one. Sure, she made the board. And sure, she may have led the ceremonies, but she's not the only one who used it. Girls have been using it for months. Expelled. But you don't understand. It wasn't just me. Expelled. I can't go back out there. This school is everything to me. It's I've been here for three years now. You don't know what it's like out there. Expelled. You're going to stay in an isolated room until someone can pick you up. Or if we have to, we will drive you home. You are no longer a student at Villa de las Niñas. In a moment, all of the hopes and all of the dreams that Maria had vanished. And not only that, she saw it as an unfair. A couple days later, there is a terrible screaming coming from the room that Maria was staying in. Girls obviously come out of their rooms. House mothers come out of their rooms. And there is Maria... Bleeding, blood shooting out of her hand. (laughs) Tip of her finger is gone. And it's spraying all over the walls. The nuns run up, they grab her, they begin dragging her through the hallway. Now, what her exact quote was, no one can quite remember. There's multiple people in the hallway, and they all heard something different. But the gist of it was this. Every one of you in my generation who accused me or thought badly about me will fall sick. You will be sick in your legs. You will not be able to walk. You will be cursed. The girls of the school never saw Maria again. She is expelled. The official story was that wind slammed the door shut and must have chopped her finger off. But there are whispers that she had done it on purpose. That this was a blood ritual. She was casting a spell. 
it wasn't just the piercing sensations in the legs, which started shortly after this. It wasn't just the piercing sensation in the legs, the nausea, the fever. It wasn't even just the nightmares, but the girls complained about visions. They'd be walking through the school hallway. Life would be bustling around them, middle of the day. No one else can see them. But every so often you'd look up and you'd see a dead girl hanging from the ceiling. Eyes staring lifelessly at them. Sometimes you'd wake up late at night and you'd hear the sound of a baby crying. And you'd be lucky if that's all that happened. Some children woke up and they saw bloody babies floating through the school. The girl in white who Hovita had worried about. There was a legend that she was the ghost of a young girl who died of a bleeding mouth disease. And other girls began to say they would see her running through the field. Some said they would see her walking through the school. While others said sometimes when they were walking up the stairs, they'd look up and they'd see her staring down at them, blood pouring from her mouth. Shadowy figures would haunt them, things out of the corner of their eyes. These weren't just physical sensations. These girls were seeing phantoms. Before the federal government got involved, Mother Superior brought in a priest to exercise the place. It didn't work. More of these girls are getting sick. More of these girls are claiming of seeing these phantoms. Mother Superior then ordered the school, find Maria. She's a witch. She cursed the school. We need the witch to uncurse the school. They never found her again. They went back to the hometown that she was came from, and it turns out she moved to Veracruz, and nobody knows where she's at. Even when this article was being written, they have no idea where Maria went. They said she could be in the United States, she could be anywhere in the country of Mexico. Nobody knows. And that is when the federal government stepped in, started testing the water and all that stuff. These girls would talk about the same nightmare they'd have. They'd fall asleep, and they'd see Maria consumed by flames, burning alive. But she would stare at the dreamer, smile, begin laughing as the flames moved across her body. This is because you blamed me, Maria would say through the flames, and this is what will happen to you. Now, you have the physical ailments of this hysteria. You have these mental issues as well. The visions. The dreams. Some girls, though, reported there was another phantom. They would whisper among each other that one of the house mothers would come to them late at night and massage their legs to ease the pain, to do what she could to help them sleep through the night. Hovita woke up one night and saw this house mother coming into her room, a silhouette. But as she got closer, she realized the house mother was wearing a veil. The house mother was dressed in all white. The girls believed that this was the Virgin Mary coming to console them. Hysteria? Absolutely possible, right? That is the most logical answer. And that one girl would say, I had a dream that I saw Maria in flames, and then the other girls would be talking about it. This was a disease that is communicated by seeing it and hearing it. You are susceptible. Totally true. And we did see it start in October and end in June. Mother Superior eventually was relieved of her command and she went back to South Korea. And she said, 
I love Mexico. I love those girls. It, it was terrible that this thing happened. I don't know why it happened. She looks back on that whole time period as she failed. And Jovita, she ended up being pulled from the school. A lot of the girls ended up leaving the school. I think a total of 300 girls were removed from the school. And Jovita went back, pulled out of the school because they didn't know what was going to happen next. You're being told one thing that's hysteria. You believe that a witch may have cursed you. And she left the school. She wasn't able to go back to school. She had to get a full-time job. She lives a life of labor. Did the witch's curse work? Did she truly punish those who betrayed her? I think an interesting footnote to this whole story is that the psychiatrist herself, Dr. Loa Navallo, would go home from interviewing these girls all day long, would go home. She'd fall asleep. And she'd begin to have nightmares. Now she told herself that I'm having nightmares because I'm hearing these stories about these girls' awful life experiences outside of the school, before the school. I'm hearing about abusive parents. I'm hearing about horrible things that happened to them. And then I'm coming home, just hearing that all day long. And then I'm coming home and I'm having these nightmares. These creepy visions while I'm sleeping. It must be that. It must be that. But there was one session in particular that she's sitting across the young girl. The young girl's talking to her. And the psychiatrist is listening, taking notes. And then she feels a sharp pain enter her leg. And then another one. And then another one. And another one. Her legs begin to burn. Her legs begin to feel like the muscle is being pierced. And she sits there across from this girl and doesn't show her worry, doesn't show her fear. The girl continues to talk, but the psychiatrist is thinking, this is all in my head. This is all in my head. This is all in my head. And she focuses on the sensation not existing. And eventually, the sensation leaves. Was the mass hysteria starting to set in and take the doctor who was sent there to cure it? Or was the witch's curse trying to claim one more victim? Science will tell us one thing. Magic has another answer. But there is one person who may know the truth. And that would be Maria. She's never been found, though. But I'm sure there's a lot of people who hope that she is never found. I doubt even Dr. Loa Navala ever wants to cross paths with Maria again. She may be a true witch, able to strike down 500 people with a few drops of blood. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.